Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. God has no favorites. Whether you're the senior pastor of the church or you're the custodian of the church, whether you're an administrative assistant or you're the business pastor of the church. Whatever your position is, God does not show favoritism. We should not show favoritism if we're the household of faith. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and feet The reason God despises when we show favoritism is because the Lord Himself doesn't show favoritism. If God Almighty doesn't show partiality or favoritism to people, who are we to think that we can place labels on people and treat them as more favorably than other people? We should be eternally grateful that the Lord doesn't show favoritism because He allowed salvation to come to the Gentiles. If God showed favoritism, perhaps He would have only made a way for the Jews to be saved. Well, let's join Pastor Ed for today's edition of Building in Faith. Jesus, it was said of Jesus. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Wow. Jesus, you don't show favoritism. When God chose you, it wasn't because you were the best-looking person in the crowd, or the most intelligent, or the most gifted, or You just had it all together, and God said, there's one for the kingdom. But um, we do do that, and it's sin, and it's wrong. James goes on to give us an example of favoritism found in verses 2 to 3. He tells us not to do it, and the indication is that they were doing it. In the Greek language, it gives you this implication, and it's implied that stop doing what you're doing. In verses 2 to 3. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and the poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. What he does is maybe he scans his memory, goes back to an occasion in the church where he saw an usher treat two people differently. Now, obviously, from the text, these are guests, visitors in the church. And it's not blaming the rich man for his wealth at this point. That's not what the point is. It's the way the church treated the rich man as opposed to the poor man. The rich man comes in, and he has rings. In the Greek language, it it says gold-fingered. So he's the original (laughs) gold-fingers. Sorry, James Bond. But But he comes in with his... Rings, And in those days, if you wanted to make an impression, you could go to a shop and rent rings. And so he comes in, 
and it says his, his clothing, it was shining clothes, shining, brilliant. So imagine this man coming in with a carabine tan and these shining, glittering clothes and his Rolex watch. And immediately the usher sees him and says, hmm, he'll help out in the building program. <laughs> Give him the good seat. Then someone else walks in, torn clothing. Maybe they smell a little different. Anything you know? I don't want to distract anybody. Let me put him in the side, or in the back. It'll be better for him, and it will be better for the rest of us as well. He won't be uncomfortable. We won't be uncomfortable. So he rationalizes it, and James nails it. And says, so you don't do that in the house of God. Your position in the world, your possessions in the world, do not determine how you are treated in the church of Jesus Christ. James tells us, don't show favoritism. Wealth does not make a person more valuable to the kingdom of God everyone is valuable to the kingdom of God. But we do it all the time. We look at a person in a nursing home at 90 years old, and maybe they're drooling, and we look at a child in the nursery who's drooling, and we put more value in the child in the nursery than we do the person in the nursing home. Each is a soul to God, and each is valuable to God. We look at the person that carries himself well and knows how to network and articulate. And the other person that maybe the elevator doesn't go up all the way. But when we look at them, we value one more than the other. God never does that. He never does it. The older person with a cane or the young person running on an athletic field. Both of them have great value to God. Stop putting labels on people and determining their value by how you size them up. That's what James is telling us. Don't confuse self-worth with net worth. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he was fascinated and captivated with the teachings of Jesus. He was studying the Sermon on the Mount, studying the gospel. He decided that if Jesus' teaching could do away with the caste system in India, he would embrace perhaps Christianity. So in a bold step, he went into a church. When the church opened the doors and the usher greeted him, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go and worship with his own people. Gandhi left church and he never returned. He said this, if Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. What if that usher had extended his hand and said, here's the best seat, and he would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Might not India look different than it does today? It was E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary evangelist, who one day asked Gandhi, 
you quote the teachings of Jesus so much. Why don't you become a Christian? Gandhi's response was, I admire your Christ, but not you Christians. That was the gist of what he was saying. Christians need to be more like Christ. A pastor made a terrible confession in church. He confessed how one Sunday a couple of years ago, he gave an altar call. The Browns came down and a young man came down. He looked somewhat disheveled. The Browns were a prominent family in the community. They were bankers and they accepted Christ and this young man accepted Christ. And they took a lot of effort at getting the Browns connected to the church. But somehow he lost track of the young man and he was preaching on the Good Samaritan. And that Sunday morning, he stood before the church and said, You know, I've been a hypocrite. He said, You all know the Browns, and they all clapped because they were in leadership, they were involved in ministry. And he said, Do you remember this young man? And people said, No, no, they didn't even remember him coming. He said, Well, he came the same Sunday that they did. I sort of lost track of him. But here he is on the front page of the newspaper in Naples. He killed an older woman. He shot her to death. What if they would have discipled that young man? Might not his future and the future of that older woman have been different? James is telling us that we have to be careful in how we deal with one another, that we don't show favoritism. Bill was saved on a college campus. He didn't know much about Christianity, but he knew he needed to go to church. So he came into the church. He had no shoes on, a torn t-shirt, jeans with holes in, and it was packed. Nowhere to sit. He made his way forward, and he sat in the very front, but he sat down right on the floor. Every eye watched. Everyone was looking an older elder in the church in his 80s began to make his way from the back to the front and every eye was on him and this older gentleman took his cane and then he dropped it on the floor and with great effort he sat next to this young man, Bill. The pastor stopped his message and said, none of you will remember my message this morning but you will remember what just happened. What's happening in our church and in our lives? We have to display by the way we live that God does not show favorites. Who is your neighbor? The person that God puts in your way with a need, he's your neighbor. There was a church sign. Outside it said, Jesus only. A storm came by and swept away the first three letters of Jesus. And it read, us only. Never let that be our attitude, nor your attitude, when it comes to this relationship with God, when it comes to your relationship with others, it should be non-existent in the church. There's a folly 
to showing favoritism. He tells us it's foolish, it's ridiculous, it's actually stupid to show favoritism. Listen to his reasoning. Verse 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Unlawful judges motivated by corrupt standards. That's what they've done. What they do here is this. James nails them to the wall and says, listen, first of all, you're not to be a judge. It's not your position. Only God knows the hearts of men. Godly Samuel made the mistake that you and I make. We look on the outside. They elected Harding because he looked presidential. I remember one man, an elder in the church, once coming to me, and he was speaking about another pastor, another minister. And this minister was seeking to uh, uh, get placed in the church. He said, oh, this man is such a, a wonderful man. He even looks like a pastor. What does a pastor look like? I guess Paul the Apostle would not have made it. What James is telling us is we are not to show partiality. We're not to judge because in doing that, we have the wrong standards. Evil thoughts are judged. We're judging by the wrong standards, corrupt standards. Christian conduct comes from a consistently Christian heart and mind. What James was doing was indicting the church. He was saying, your response to the rich and to the poor indicates your heart. My wife, her parents taught at Bible college, and all three of those girls lived in one small room. I lived back in Brooklyn, New York, and we didn't have very much at all. And everything that we have is a gift from God. And I say to myself again and again, I never want to forget, Lord, where you've brought me from. Remember the old chorus? Lord, it goes, roll back the curtains of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and show me where I could have been. Remember I'm human and humans forget, so remind me, remind me, dear Lord, we do it as Christians. Five years ago, ten years ago, where were you? What was the language that you used? How did you talk with people? What was the conduct that you had? You get saved only five and ten years, and then you look at somebody and you say, man, they talk like that? Look at the way they act. Look at the way they behave. Have we forgotten what it was like? B.C. before Christ. We have to be careful that we don't show favoritism, that we don't show prejudice, that we don't show discrimination. God loves everybody. Don't usurp God's rightful place to be judge. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus went into the synagogue, and there in the synagogue in Nazareth, he preached. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And I pray as a church, we will reach out to the poor in our community. Now, we're not called in every way like every church is. Hear me on this. I'll just take a sidestep right now and give a moment of teaching. I thank God 
for the Catholic Church and what they're doing for feeding the hungry in the city of Poughkeepsie. They're doing a great job. Beulah Baptist, feeding the hungry in New York City. People like Charlie Bunsen, you are part of our congregation, who goes every week down to the Salvation Army and is preparing meals and ministering. God doesn't call us to do everything, but we can support them. We don't have a care net operation here, but it's a parachurch ministry, and it's meeting the needs, and so we support that. Beloved, there's an understanding of what God calls us to do, but in all of doing it, we never forget the needs and the hurts and the pain of those around us. And we never say, you know, look at those people. When you, when you show discrimination, favoritism, you side with those who oppose God. That's what verses 5 to 7 tell us. And quickly, in 5 to 7, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? and to inherit the kingdom he has promised to those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who slander the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, in that historical situation, in chapter 5, throws light on what James is saying. They were landowners who were taking land from the poor. They weren't paying people their full wages. They were robbing, as it were, this lower class of people. They were oppressing them. And suddenly when these people came around, suddenly they were lifted up. Now all of us, in comparison to the rest of the world, are rich. But watch God work. Watch God move in Europe. The church is dead. Empty cathedrals. Monuments that once reached to the heavens to declare the glory of God are empty. In America, the church is plateaued and barely hanging on. But in Africa and in South America and in Asia, There is revival. God's moving among the poor, the needy, the hurting. God values them. And as Christians, he's going to talk to us about how we spend our money. He's going to talk to us later on how we use our wealth. And we're going to talk about some of those things as we preach through the book of James. But I just want to Nail it to the 21st century today. Back in their time, it was these rich landowners who were oppressing the poor, who weren't paying wages, who were stealing land, and their land was growing more and more. But, but today, let's go to Europe for a moment. Simple cartoon set aflame a revolt across Europe by the Muslim community. Where is the outcry in the Christian church against the Da Vinci Code. Now I like Ron Howard. He's made some good movies. But I'll tell you it's blasphemous. And it's going to hurt people's faith as they package and they put their uh, glimmer and glamour on that Hollywood presentation. 
of the Da Vinci Code, I think, oh, Lord, all of the people that will be misled. But yet we'll laud them, and yet we'll support them. There's something wrong when we've lost our ability to become upset with sin in the culture. We as believers have to be outraged at the things that outrages the heart of God. Have we had a glimpse of the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory in heaven? Uh, that's James, the Lord of Glory. He likes that term, the Lord of Glory. Chuck Colson in his book, Kingdoms in Conflict, tells how Nixon would influence diverse interest groups who would come to visit the White House. He wanted to be reelected, and so he would influence them. And this is what he'd do when the guests would arrive, uh, he would have Coulson take them past the saluting guards. And then they would go down the corridor with dramatic pictures of the president in action and past presidents. And then they would go to the dining hall area with the naval guards dressed in their red uniforms. And by the time Coulson got them to the Oval Office, he said, these lions would turn into lambs. And Nixon would give them gold cufflinks with the presidential seal. And then they would leave his office promising to support and doing anything they wanted to do, anything he wanted them to do. And they would forget their well-rehearsed speech. He said, now the exceptions to that were the labor leaders. He said they wouldn't cave under that. But he said the most compliant were the religious leaders. The pomp and sort of the splendor and the power of that office just caused them to become mute in the presence of the president. I thought about that. Haven't we been in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Don't we know what heaven is going to be like? And this world is going to disappear in a moment's time, in a burst of flame, and everything that we see and know in this present world is going to just simply disappear and be over with, and all the distinctions that matter in this world will be gone, and the only thing that will matter is our relationship to God. We ought to live with that in mind and in our hearts. Does our theology make any difference in what awes us and persuades us and moves us? Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter. Then Peter addressed them, I really understand. I now really understand, he said, that God has no favorites. Dawned on him. There in the house of Cornelius, God has no favorites. Whether you're the senior pastor of the church or you're the custodian of the church, whether you're an administrative assistant or you're the business pastor of the church, whatever your position is, God does not show favoritism. We should not show favoritism if we're the household of faith 
We don't live in 1906 in an English manner. We live in the family of God. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? These words from the book of James could lead one to believe that we must earn our salvation by good works. Pastor Ed will tackle this difficult subject and more as he teaches through the book of James. We'll learn that works are the result of faith, not the other way around. Although building in faith is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Edward Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching through his series, Through the Book of James, right here on Building in Faith.